This is Amy Cohen Epstein, founder, president, and executive director of the Lynn Cohen Foundation and The Seam, the series for education and awareness in medicine. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing researchers, doctors, scientists, female founders, entrepreneurs to talk about women's health, wellness, and preventive care. Take a listen. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Katerina Schneider, the founder and CEO of Ritual, a health and technology company that is transforming the supplement industry through traceable science and sourcing. Kat founded Ritual on the belief that better health begins with better ingredients and that women, yes, deserve absolute transparency in their supplements. As a trailblazer in the industry, Kat has been recognized on Forbes 30 Under 30, Inc.'s 100 Female Founders, and Marie Claire's New Guard 50. Thank you, Kat, for being here. Okay, I'm jumping right in. How did you get this started? What was your motivation? Let's dive into this world of supplements. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Very excited to be here Good for a lot of reasons. Uh, So Ritual, as you mentioned, is a health and wellness company that is setting a new standard in the supplement industry through traceable science and traceable sourcing. My journey began long before I was pregnant, but I was four months pregnant when I started the company. I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur my whole life. My family immigrated here to the U.S. from Ukraine, so I was a refugee and we lived in a welfare hotel in Brooklyn. And my dad became an entrepreneur. My mom ended up working on Wall Street. And so I was always around that kind of entrepreneurial hustle. I just never really had an idea that kept me up at night. And as I mentioned before to you, before we started, my mom actually had breast cancer and I became deeply passionate about health. At a young age, I was doing a blood type diet. I was doing you know, therapy every single week for absolutely no reason. Um, but it, was, it definitely shaped me and, and my life. And I just became deeply, deeply passionate about health. And then when I was four months pregnant, my whole world changed. And I knew that I needed to take a prenatal supplement, but there wasn't a brand that I trusted. The industry was extremely opaque, lacking science and transparency. And I knew that all of us deserved better. And so I set out not to only reimagine the prenatal vitamin, but really set a new standard in the entire industry. And I'm so proud that that's what we've done. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and we now have the number one selling prenatal vitamin in the U.S. online. We've had over a million customers to date, surpassed nine figures in recurring revenue a couple of years ago and have been growing ever since. Okay. So I have to totally stop you and go back for a Yeah. How old was your mom when she was diagnosed with breast cancer and how old were you? It was a start of college for me. My mom was, I think, in her late, late about late 40s. Okay. Yeah. So you were like 18, 19. Yeah. Around and your mom is okay? My mom is okay now. And so what's interesting was she started her career. She's probably the most inspiring person I've ever met. She's like my inspiration yeah. for, <laughs> for being a mom. And 
you know, a professional. She didn't know any English. She learned English, ended up working on Wall Street on the trading floor. And she really managed a lot and it was extremely stressful for her. And we often talk about that stress resulted in, in health issues. And so she actually quit her job in investment banking and working on the trading floor. And then she turned to macrobiotics. Mm. And so that was really interesting because I was exposed really early to macrobiotics. Early on in my life, we were yeah. exposed to Ayurveda yeah. and all these different alternative before medicines. it was like a thing. Yeah, yeah. before <laughs> it was a thing. And it was always interesting to me because it was a little woo-woo mm-hmm. and it wasn't scientific and my mind works in kind of more an analytical <laughs> medical space. Yeah. And so I was always trying to find meaning or science behind. I was like, is this on PubMed, what what we're doing? But it was interesting because it kind of exposed me to alternative medicine, nutrition, supplements, psychology, food, all these different things that I wasn't really deep in before. Yeah. I mean, and that's such a pivotal age for a young woman being that age of seeing your your hero, your mom stronger, bigger Mm -hmm. than life being diagnosed with breast cancer and then going through the treatments and thank God coming out the other side, but it certainly shapes and changes you, obviously speaking from experience. And so I remember when I was pregnant with my first child and I was 25, I was pretty young and the doctor given me a supplement to take and I couldn't swallow it. It was the biggest pill I'd ever seen in my life. And I literally couldn't swallow it. I tried multiple times. It came right up. And he said, well, then just literally, this is what he told me, take a Flintstones multivitamin. And I thought, is that a joke? Like, if you look at the ingredients, there's literally nothing on the ingredient list that, no offense to Flintstones, but there's nothing on the ingredient list that is medicine. I mean, it's, it's like sugar and different kinds of sugar and coloring. And I thought this cannot be helpful. And he literally said, it's fine. You'll pee it all out. And I thought, well, then what's the point? <laughs> yes. And I was pretty healthy at 25. I'm probably healthier now, but I couldn't imagine putting something in my body that one, I wouldn't even stay in my body. And that had no benefits to me, let alone this unborn child. I didn't have the wherewithal at that time in my life to start a company and come up with my own prenatal <laughs> vitamin or you know, where I was living and what I was doing, there weren't that many options. So good for you for figuring that out. So tell me the first step. Like, how did you, you're obviously an entrepreneur by blood and spirit, but how did you take that first step and say, first of all, start with prenatals and then like figure out the formula. Who did you work with? How did it get going? Yeah. So my background's actually in venture. So I was, I was running Troy Carter's fund here in LA and and he had invested in over 70 companies, everything from Uber, Dropbox, Warby Parker, Spotify. And I spent so much time around tech entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I think that really shaped how the company was born and also the funding that we received. I would say early on, the first step was really getting that funding because I wanted us to double down on science, yeah, which clearly is very important to you yeah, and was lacking from the industry, but to invest in clinical studies, to invest in certifications, to invest in third-party testing, that requires capital. Yeah. And And time and energy and and blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's all about doing the right thing at every twist and turn of the entrepreneurial journey. So I knew that I needed a significant amount of capital to do things the right way. And 
I was very privileged that my background was in venture because I had a lot of venture relationships, but four months pregnant, it wasn't the most ideal time (laughs) to raise money because I was starting to show, you know, I went into an investor's office and I, and this was kind of uncharted territory at the time. Yeah. I went into an investor's office and I was like, I'm going to start a family and a business. (laughs) And the investor was like, you have to actually choose between the two. You can't do both. And eventually I found- They say that to so many men. Yeah. (laughs) My wife's at home pregnant with four months pregnant and I'm starting a new business. That's not a problem. No, it's a a double standard. And I would say it's probably more rare today than it was those days. There weren't really great examples of women who were starting companies pregnant who wanted to build family. Now I have three beautiful girls and a thriving business. So it was- it was kind of paving a new path. And eventually I did raise our funding from investors that really believed in our mission and believed that we were going to transform the industry the right way. And so that was really the first step was raising the money. The second step was hiring a team of scientists. Those were our first hires. So I hired a chief scientist. Where were you at this time geographically? I was in Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. I was in Los Angeles And I would say a lot of the scientists that I was talking to were kind of all over the country. I knew nothing about hiring a PhD (laughs) registered (laughs) dietitian and someone in the biomedical sciences field. And so that was kind of new territory for me, but I knew that I was the right person to start this Mm -hmm. because I, I believed that we needed this. We needed to change the industry in this way. And so I was just committed to finding the best scientists. So we we hired a, a founding scientist early on. He had a PhD in biomedical sciences and was a registered dietitian. And and I asked him, I'm like, what is, and he'd been in the industry for 30 years. I'm like, what is wrong with this industry? And, and he knew where all the skeletons had been buried because he'd been working in it for so long. Yeah. And he's like, I wanted to use these ingredients for so long, but no one wants to use them because they're so expensive. Mm-hmm. And it really helped inform kind of the early days and the early formulations. And now we have a team of 20 scientists, full-time PhDs, registered dietitians. And what I love about our scientific team is it's so cross-disciplinary. We have people from academia to physiologists, and it kind of shapes how, how we think about the formulation process and the products that we put out in the world. It's amazing. I think one of the great advantages of being a woman and a female entrepreneur. And one of the best, to back up, one of the best pieces of advice I got when I started the Lynn Cohen Foundation 25 years ago was from a family friend who's an incredibly successful entrepreneur and businessman. And he said to me, run it like a business and run it like an entrepreneur and surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are in the areas in which you don't know about and learn from them and let them do their thing. And that was, I was 23 years old. So I still had a little bit of an ego left where I was like, what do you mean? I can learn everything. Clearly 25 years later, I've I've let go of that. Or, you know, I have let go of that. Maybe not clearly. I know people that haven't. (laughs) But I think women, we have that advantage where we can really swallow that and say, there's no way you can learn all of that. And there's no way that you are going to run a business, you know, gather the financing, have the area of expertise that you had already gained and what, be a scientist as well. And so using those tools that you had built to gather the best team 
and find people, like you said, who had been in the business for so long, knew where all the skeletons were buried and knew what needed to be done to move the needle. I mean, that in itself is just heroic. And also what has allowed you to build a product that's better than what's on the shelves. Yeah, I I agree a hundred percent. It's all about expertise. And I couldn't think of something that deserved more expertise and knowledge than something that people were putting in their body during one of the most vulnerable stages of their lives. And so that required excellence on every level and especially with the team that we were going to build. And I would say my background in venture allowed me to raise a significant amount of money to do those right things that wasn't required by the industry. And to your point, there were people way smarter than I was uh, in a lot of different areas yeah. from, you know, we, we're a technology company. We, we have a lot of engineers on staff. We built our own software to scientists. And I knew that my role in it was being a skeptic and knowing our consumer who was also a skeptic, questioning everything. Yeah. And that's really the secret sauce. It's definitely a balance of art and science and skepticism. Yeah. And there's so many moms who, when they get pregnant or have their first child, have this idea, well, I can't find it, so I'm going to build it. And then don't because your baby grows up and it's, you know, you move on to the next phase. But you really hit, I mean, you really found what was needed and you found a hole in the industry and a hole that we all needed. So fundamentally, what is the difference between your prenatal supplement than what was out there or what is still out there? I mean, what is the difference? Yeah, that's a great question. So for us, it's interesting. We have the leading prenatal, but we actually didn't launch with a prenatal vitamin. Okay. We started the company with our flagship multi for women 18 plus. And the reason for that was I really wanted to earn her trust. And that product is the best case study for what we're doing that's so radically different in the industry. That product now has a peer-reviewed and published human clinical study. And we conducted a clinical study with a major university, not required by the industry. We use ingredients that have their own clinical studies, but then actually conducting clinical study on the product is groundbreaking. That product also has a patent on the delivery technology. So we often think about the ingredients and the ingredient traceability, but how is that actually being delivered in the body? And so we got a patent on the actual technology of the product and also has USP verification, which is a leading third-party verification and less than 1% of supplement companies have that certification. Amazing. So it's really this perfect trifecta of everything that I found was missing. And the best case study of how we want to change the industry and how we want every product to be with those higher standards. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's really incredible. (laughs) (laughs) I just need a minute to let that sink in. So you have three daughters. How are you raising them nutritionally Mm -hmm. differently than you were raised? Not that our parents didn't do a good job, not that your mother and your father didn't do a good job, but we know more and clearly you know more. So are there like three things that you could say that you're doing a little differently or more intentionally than perhaps you had or you and your peers had when you were growing up? So I grew up in a very interesting household. My 
parents are health fanatics. <laughs> yes, you mentioned that. So I would say I'm even more relaxed, okay. it, oddly, than they are. My parents yeah, come to unusual. my house and test my water and bring devices to <laughs> test our water quality. And then, you know, I left for a moment and they put a filter under our sink that they, that, that is <laughs> the highest grade filter. So, I love and that. so that's kind of how I grew up. We had a Norman Walker juicer growing up before <laughs> press juicing was, was a thing. So for me, it's actually, I would say there's a lot of things that I'm doing that, but it's definitely not the norm. And if anything, I'm stepping back and trying to make that balance okay yeah. for them because I grew up in a world where that balance was not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. not really there. So sugar is one area that I'm particularly passionate about. And it's actually when we launched our kids gummy multivitamin, very different from your Flintstone. Yeah. It was really important for me to create a sugar-free product. And I remember going to our kids' pediatric dentist and he was like, you better not give your kids these sugary gummies, vitamins. I see a lot of kids coming in here with with problems from those on their teeth. Like with their rotten teeth, teeth yeah. literally at age six. Totally. Yes. So when we were setting out to create a kid's product, I'm like, this has to be sugar-free. Mm -hmm. This is really important. And we created a sugar-free gummy using monk fruit and fiber. And so that I was really proud of that. So sugar is a big issue in the US. I mean, we have yeah. incredible rates of childhood obesity and diabetes. And it actually, it makes me sad as someone who actually grew up, you know, living for the meals in, in my school because we were we were so poor and I was waiting for <laughs> to, yeah. to go to school and eat you know, the lunches and everything that was provided, I feel like there hasn't been that much change there no, at it's all. Make, yeah. pretty depressing. It's yeah. pretty depressing. So sugar is a, a big issue. To me, it's wild how many kids' products have really high levels of sugar. And I would say like eight, 10 grams, and that's not necessary. And so when you actually add up the amount of sugar our kids are consuming on a daily basis, it's pretty wild. So I try to limit the amount of sugar. I always opt in to more savory foods. Mm -hmm. I would say picky eating is another area that I've been really passionate about as I've dove into nutrition, especially having kids that are two, four, and seven. Their preferences are so different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one, one solve there for me has been like actually incorporating my kids into the preparation of food and also the purchasing of produce. So if I love taking them to the farmer's market and having them and kind of just listening what they want mm -hmm. because when you when you buy the fruits or vegetables or food for your kids like you're kind of dictating to them what they should be eating and that's not really fun for them yeah. but you discover that hey you know they want this apple or they want to try an eggplant because they've never tried it because it looks cool and i think just allowing them to be part of of that experience is something that has really kind of changed things for me and allowing them to cook with you if you have the time and privilege to do so. Yeah, definitely. I'd like to live in your house for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have three boys, oh. uh, teenagers. Yeah, so it's a little different story. But now the older two are at a point where they will eat anything at this mm -hmm. point. But we definitely had a, a trifecta of picky eaters for a while uh, who all wanted very different things. Um, and I think the other, the other thing is just not putting some of that junk food on a pedestal. I think that's really the tricky thing is, you know, when you say, hey, you need to finish your dinner so you can get your dessert, that, that's a really funky precedent for kids thinking that that's the North Star. But when you kind of destigmatize 
some of the treats and desserts and, and you normalize it, they're less likely to kind of go crazy for them. Yeah. Or if they're completely off grounds and they're forbidden, mm-hmm. they'll just go to their friend's houses totally. when they're and stuff their face, you know. Yeah, my daughter, my daughter came home from, she has LASD and they were handing out chocolate milk. She came home and she said, you know, they, they put chocolate in milk. <laughs> She's never seen and I it. six of them. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, they, they're discovering things all the time. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, sorry, I forgot to inform you of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how was it? Did it taste good? <laughs> oh God. It's like, yes. <laughs> so tell me, now that we've talked about our kids and eating habits, I think one of the most amazing things about the way that you have a, you started with a multivitamin for 18 plus year old women, and then I guess moved into the prenatal world. And I know you have more than more than that on the shelves and what's in gummies for children. And it seems, you know, you're really taking care of people all the way through. I think of, I work a lot with genetic counselors and do genetic testing women who have a history of cancer in their family. What does that mean for you? Where does that put your risk? You know, talking about preventive care. And to me, supplements are preventive care, right? It's all in the same world and the same vein. And I think of, you know, you can't talk about genetics. You can't go have genetic testing done without a genetic counselor with you because there's too many, there's too many answers. There's too many questions without a real professional walking you through it. Some ways I think of supplements the same. And there's obviously so many choices on the shelf, but also, you know, just simplifying it and saying, you know, who helps you through this, these processes, a multivitamin, a prenatal vitamin are pretty self-explanatory, but then you open this world of, I mean, you walk into, we're so privileged and so lucky in Los Angeles, you go into a market and there's, you know, 1200 supplements for every single thing. And I, sometimes you look and it's just, well, what's good and what's bad and what's the best. And I feel like you need a little guide next to you helping you out. What's your sort of take on that? Well, I love that you brought up genetics because it's (laughs) it's actually, uh, I'm not actually going to answer your question, but I I will eventually. But I think genetics is something that was so interesting to me, even just how we selected ingredients as a company and that not all ingredients are created equal. And we have this four-step, scientific process in formulating our multivitamins where the first is, you know, you you go to the market and you see the multivitamins and they have like 40 ingredients, many of which we're already getting from our diets. Mm. They don't take genetics into account. And so that was a really light bulb moment for us. And we have 20 scientists on staff. We work with some leading institutions. We have scientists that are advisors um, like Marie Caudill from Cornell and world leader on choline, you know, thought leadership. And so when we were formulating our products, we created this four-step process where we look at what is it that people are getting from their diets. We comb enhanced data and leading published data. The second step is actually looking at lifestyles. So I'm vegan, looking at different certain lifestyles. And the third step is looking at genetics. So we know that genetics impact how we actually utilize certain nutrients. Mm -hmm. So when I was creating the company, it turned out that there was a difference between folic acid and methylated folate where over a third of people had a genetic variation. They couldn't properly utilize folic acid, which was found in most multivitamins. And that there was another form, which was methylated folate that bypassed that genetic variation. But companies weren't using that ingredient. Why? It was more expensive? It's more expensive. It's less stable. 
So we wanted to do the right thing. So we have methylated folate in our products. And then the last step is looking how these ingredients and nutrients all work together as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important part of this formulation process. I don't think it's something that you as a consumer <laughs> need to fully understand when you're navigating the, the supplement aisles. But I think the biggest takeaway when you are navigating those aisles are ingredients matter yeah. and ingredient forms matter. And I think that wasn't something that was previously really understood or thought of. It's why traceability became a core part of our brand. Since the beginning, you can go on our site and see our ingredients, where they come from in the world, why they're there, and the final destination of manufacturing. And then more recently, we evolved it. We evolved it and put a certificate of traceability tool on our site where people can actually look up their products, not just see where the ingredients are coming from and the final destination of manufacturing, but they can also see the testing and the sustainability of the packaging materials, the certificates. And a great example of why this is important is when you do go to the, you know, the, the aisle of a million supplements and protein powders, yeah. there's certain issues with that. And heavy metals are a big issue in the plant-based protein section, I would say. Yeah. The plant-based proteins are notoriously high in heavy metals, but there's really no upper limit or you know, regulation around health protective measures when it comes to heavy metals in, in plant-based proteins. And so on our site... That's comforting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so be scared, right? Yeah. So on our site, you can actually go and see our heavy metal results, which is wild because yeah. people aren't used to even... Most people don't even realize, I think, that there's heavy metals in everything. Yeah. We actually list the heavy metal results for, for our protein powders, which is industry defining. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Another thing to, <laughs> another thing to, to, uh, to think about what I'm ingesting and what's actually in there. And I think the last thing I want to ask about is, I mean, pretty simple actually is, you know, when the whole world of organic, you know, has been around for decades and decades, but become much more popular in mainstream, especially in the United States in the last handful of decades, people think that it's organic. So it's okay right? It's organic sugar, organic cane sugar, or organic ingredients are okay. And I think you've already hit the nail on the head saying it's more than that. It's really reading into them and seeing what else is in there. And and so how does the average person who wants to take a multivitamin, what are like the few things that they should look for in an ingredient list? An adult, not, you know, adult picking for themselves and adult picking for their kids. I often say that the future of the industry is the evolution of clean to clear and skincare as well. We've just been so focused on things that our products are made without that we have lost sight of what our products are made with. with. And the evolution is actually setting higher standards for what products are made with. And that traceability, that transparency of what those products are made with. And, and traceability has become like our rallying cry as a, as a business, even this term made traceable, which we trademarked, is really transparency with receipts. And so transparency is telling a consumer, hey, take our word for it. And traceability is actually showing them the proof. Mm. With Ritual, you can go on our site and you can actually see the final destination of manufacturing for our ingredients. You can see the certifications, you can see the testing, 
and all the things that really matter, but we're also setting a new clear standard. It's not enough that it's what our products are made without. Although I will say our products are vegan <laughs> and non-GMO, you know, and sugar-free and all the things, but I think those are table stakes now. Yeah. And, and it's kind of yeah. like, what else? And what, you know, and it, protein is such a good example of that yeah. where you could have an organic product, but it's really high in heavy metals. And what is it doing for your health? Packed uh, with sugar. Totally. And so I think the evolution for us as a brand is not just creating high quality products, but really pushing the industry forward. So we recently brought in a chief impact officer mm. and we launched our impact goals, which we can talk about. But one thing that I'm particularly excited about is that we're rolling out our traceable wellness advocacy standards. And they're focused on two things. The first is around heavy metals and pushing the industry to have regulation around setting health protective measures when it comes to heavy metals in supplements and protein powders, like full stop. Yeah. The second is around the term clinically studied. It's a term that is loosely used and not well defined. And you have products out there that have potentially they have ingredients that have been clinically studied maybe, but they're not even in the right dosages that correspond to those clinical studies. We're excited to have actual clinical studies on every single one, our own clinical studies on every single one of our products by 2030. And none of this is required by the industry, but it's a standard that we really believe in. I love it. It's such a funny term, clinical studies, Mm -hmm. because literally... I think for a long time, it had such a weight Mm -hmm. and clinical studies, you sort of have this vision of people in lab coats and people coming in and doing studies. And nowadays, who the heck knows what, I mean, literally who knows what that means, right? Like it could mean a focus group of 10 random people being, you know, in a room with some person from a company. I mean, it's so, it's so loose and it's pretty scary. Um, It's scary because it impacts it not only impacts efficacy of products, but it impacts the safety. And for us, we always make an effort to, when we're using an ingredient, we look at the clinical studies that have been done on that ingredient. And then we take it one step further, like for the multivitamin from an 18 plus, and we conduct our own clinical study showing, you know, 43% increase in vitamin D levels over 12 weeks. And that's not even enough because like you said, there's no one validating that clinical study. You don't know how many subjects are in that yeah. study. Like you, you it could be a gobbledygook. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to publishing it. And because we have so many academics in the business, it's why they're there. They're like, yeah. we want to be publishing these studies so that they can get reviewed by the scientific community yeah. and validated. And so we went out and published our clinical study in Frontiers Journal, which I think is the right thing to do because like you said, consumers, it's become such a commonly used term. You have no idea what it means. My biggest pet peeve is when people say clinically studied and they actually do have clinically studied ingredients, but they don't match the dosage in those clinical studies. How would the consumer know that unless you're reading, you know, PubMed and all these things? Also, clinically studied couldn't be decades old. Mm-hmm. It can be, you know, literally decades old where industry standards have changed and efficacy levels have changed and actual ingredients and the way they're put together have changed. And you can have different ingredients that are studied separately, but not together. And then the way they interact and commingle is totally a different product when it comes together. So 
yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to ingest and digest. And we're so grateful that people like you have built this amazing company and are taking it you know, to the next level in such a serious, well-mannered, scientific way. I think we're all better off for it. We could go on and talk, I think, the entire day about this and get into lots of other areas of discussion, but I'm going to wrap it up and I'm just going to ask you one last question, which is if there's one more product, if you could only make one more product, um, one more supplement, one more anything, what would you do? Wow, that's a great question. (laughs) I'm actually, I'm just excited about creating products in categories where the standards are low. Yeah. Our customer has really high standards. We have really high standards as a company and it's an exciting challenge for me to see what our customers want. Like our customers, we listen to them. We have an impact team and, and we saw that the number one most requested product to date was in the area of gut health. Mm-hmm. And so more recently we launched our Symbiotic Plus which was a prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic in a single capsule. And it's been a game changer, the biggest launch to date. And it's so inspiring for me to see how it's actually changing people's lives. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting there, because it falls under that parallel of traceable science and traceable sourcing, that product, we actually, a lot of probiotics just get released in the stomach where they get destroyed, where the, the bugs get destroyed. Ours, we did an in vitro study in Belgium where we showed that the product gets released in the colon, which is the best place for it to thrive. And those are the moments that I get excited about. It's kind of flipping something on its head and doubling down on science and best-in-class ingredients. Yeah. And so, and we use two of the world's most clinically studied probiotics in that product. We have a prefer pro prebiotic and a postbiotic, which is new, kind of a newer yeah. area of science. Those are really exciting for me. I think the the last thing that I'm, I think not just products, but something that I'm really excited about is sustainability. Yeah. And Ritual has, I think, you know, Ritual has been on the forefront of sustainability since day one. We always used vegan ingredients and we almost have the same approach to sustainability that we have to product development mm-hmm. with science at its core. Yeah. And so earlier, we recently became a B Corp certified company, which was huge achievement in this category that's so focused on health, Yeah. but we've completely been asleep at the wheel in the biggest health crisis of our time, which is climate change. And we rolled out our impact goals. So we rolled out three goals. The first was hundred percent traceable ingredients. And we achieved that at the end of last year, where you can see the final destination of manufacturing of our ingredients. And The second goal was sustainable packaging by 2025, which means recyclable, refillable, or recycled materials. And we are 74% of the way there, which is really exciting. We saw that, you know, our our post-consumer recycled multivitamin bottle, meaning it's 100% from recycled materials, has saved close to 15 million water bottles from going amazing in the trash and uses 59% less carbon than glass. Wow. And then the third goal for us is net zero by 2030. So really climate change leadership, which I'm really excited about. We've assessed our footprint on carbon from scope one, two, and three emissions. And I think what's been really exciting there, we're doing LCAs on, on products, but one thing that's been really exciting there is even just seeing that the peas we use from a partner 
purists where North American peas are are grown here and they're regeneratively farmed are actually sequestering carbon. (laughs) So there is removing carbon. So it's just been really fascinating to see kind of our work and when it comes to carbon, when it comes to climate leadership is really parallel to our leadership when it comes to science and the category. I love it all. It's amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. This has just been enlightening, uplifting, and I just am so happy to talk to you today and everything that you've done from the time you were a young, really young person to now, still a very young person, (laughs) um, is remarkable. So thank you for everything you've done for the world, really, and for young people up until, you know, everyone enjoying your products and everyone else should. So thank you so much. And the way you're changing the world is really incredible and inspiring. Thank you for having me. I'm also just really inspired by everything you're doing to change the world as well. And I know that the team wanted to give a code, if that's okay, for your listeners. Yes, please. uh, And the code is SEAM and it's 20% off. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Awesome. We will post that. Thank you. Thank you so much.